Happy Thursday, Murder in the Black fam. It is your host, Steph. Let's quickly get into some announcements that I have today. If you haven't listened to our last episode, we want to make sure that you do because if you left a review, you possibly could have won our giveaway. We have received messages from giveaway winners. Um, not all, but some. So in case you don't know if you won or not, check back to the episode we recorded last week um, so that you can know and quickly send us a message on either Instagram or our TikTok, Murder in the Black. We will be mailing those out this weekend. So you literally have one day as it is Thursday. So get back in contact with us. And as soon as we... Um, mail our giveaway gift cards. We will message you guys on Monday and let you know when you should be expecting your gift card in the mail. So that's all for announcements. So let's get into the reason why we're all here. Our crime case for today. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. titled this episode, Just an Ordinary Day. This is the story of Nikki McCowan. When we catch up with Nikki, she's 28 years old, living in Richmond, Indiana, and she's engaged to a man named Bobby Webster. The interesting thing about Bobby and Nikki is they actually knew each other in high school. They dated throughout high school, had a wonderful relationship, and the only reason that they broke up was because Bobby went off to school in California and Nikki stayed in Indiana. Well, Nikki went on with her life and had a child with someone else, but in 1998, Bobby moved back to Indiana and they rekindled the flame. And so in 2001, they're engaged, planning a wedding, And so excited to just get married and start a life. On July 22nd, 2001, it was just an ordinary day. It was a Sunday and Bobby and Nikki were running last minute errands, preparing for the week, making sure that Monday ran as smoothly as possible. Bobby decided that he was going to take his cousin to go get fitted for his tux, Bobby and Nikki's wedding was coming up very soon, and he wanted to make sure that those last-minute details were out of the way. Nikki, on the other hand, decided that she was going to go to the laundromat and do her laundry for the week, make sure that they had enough clothes, enough clean clothes, and, you know, just to pack that away and make sure that that was secure before Monday came around. Nikki actually took Bobby's car, and she drops off her daughter, Peyton at her parents' house to make sure that she is baby-free and able to execute doing the laundry without any distractions. So she drops her daughter Peyton off at her parents' house and she goes to the laundromat. A couple of hours go by and Nikki returns back to her parents' house and she tells her mom, hey, I'm just going to chill out while my clothes dry because when I was at the laundromat, 
some guys were harassing me. And it just was like very irritating and getting on her nerves. And her mom tells her like, hey, listen, go pick up your clothes and just come back here. Like whatever you haven't done, bring it back here, wash it, dry it and be done with it. And so Nikki says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And she leaves promising to be back very quickly so she can finish her laundry and get Peyton back home and put her to sleep. But hours go by and she doesn't come back to get Peyton. At this time, Bobby returns back from his appointment with his cousin and he sees that Nikki's purse and her ID is at the house. So around six o'clock, he starts calling and Asking people, have they heard from Nikki? Do they know where she's at? And they say no. So it was at 10 o'clock that he was just like, what is going on? He calls Nikki's parents. Peyton still is at their house. Nikki never returned to pick her up. And he decides that he's going to look for Nikki himself. So he goes to the laundromat. He doesn't see the car there. He doesn't see Nikki there. But then he drives to Dayton, Ohio, which I which is like a stone throw away from Richmond, Indiana. And this is where Nikki works as a correction officer at a facility there where she did work as a correction officer. But then she moved up and became the head of accounting. So he figured maybe something happened at work and she didn't get a chance to call him or let him know. So he just decides to drive out there just to see if her car is there, see if she's at work and she's not there. So that next day, the family fills out a missing person report because Nikki would not do this. After filing the police report that Nikki was missing, the police informed the family that they would have to wait 72 hours. I want to stop here and say that a lot of us in the true crime community think that it is standard practice for police to tell families that you have to wait 48 hours or 72 hours before they investigate. And that's not standard practice. Different Police departments throughout the country here in the United States have different policies about missing persons. And so you want to make sure that you report it as soon as possible because they may start to investigate right when you report it. So although in many cases we've heard during crime cases that it's 72 hours or 48 hours, if you ever find yourself in a situation where someone's missing, Just know that that may not be your police department's standard policy when it comes to a missing person. So I just wanted to put that out there just in case anybody ever finds themselves in that position. Report it as soon as possible. So after they they allow 72 hours to pass and Nikki still does not show up, the police then start to investigate. They go to the laundromat and... They start to ask different people, like, have you seen Nikki? Did you see anybody bothering her? And people don't remember her at all. And then the people that do remember her don't remember anybody harassing her or confronting her or making a scene. But the police are able to go to a store, a convenience store that is right by the laundromat. It's called Village Pantry. 
and they are able to obtain security footage and they see Nikki going into the store um, and purchasing a Coke. Then they see her car in front of the laundromat before she goes back to her mother's house. They don't ever see her return. So when she's in the store, she doesn't look like she's distressed. She doesn't seem like something's wrong. So the police say, based on their investigation, they tell the family, we believe that she just walked out of her life, that she decided to go for whatever reason. And Nikki's family, including Bobby, dispel this this theory and tell the police, hey, look, there is no way that Nikki would leave her daughter. She absolutely loves her daughter. She's very involved in her daughter's life. She has, you know, um, primary custody of her daughter. She would not leave her daughter. She would take her daughter with her. And the fact that her daughter Peyton is still here, it doesn't go along with Nikki's character. Not only that, but they tell the police that she's three weeks away from her wedding, that she has been planning for, that everything is paid for. She has her dress. She has booked the venue. She has flowers. She has everything. There's no way that she would have left her life voluntarily. The police responded to Nikki's family's counter argument that she would never go missing without taking her daughter um, and She also had a wedding that she was so excited for. The police decided to do a helicopter search from Richmond, Indiana to Dayton, Ohio, in hopes that they would find something that would give them a clue to where Nikki went. So they did the search and their hands came up empty. They did not even find her car that she was driving. And so the police were really at a standstill in this case. So naturally, they went on to investigate her banking records, see if there was any activity on her credit cards. And there was just nothing. It was as if Nikki just decided to up and disappear and not tell anybody where she was going. She also missed her next shift at work. And really for her family, that was just alarm bells because Nikki wouldn't ever miss work. And let's say if she did, she would make sure she would show up at that next shift. So that was for them confirmation that something was just really wrong. So naturally, the police start to look at Bobby, the fiance, but Bobby was giving them a ton of red flags to make them look in their in his direction anyway. So one day after Nikki was missing, Bobby called the community college where Nikki is going to receive her associate's degree. And he tells the registrar that he's trying to see, was there any excess funds on Nikki's account that he could collect? And the registrar tells him, listen, like this is being paid for by Nikki's employer. And if there's any excess funds, you wouldn't like have a claim to them. They're going to go right back to the employer. So, you know, that was kind of like very weird (laughs) as you can, you know, believe like, Why are you trying to collect excess funds and for what? But then Wednesday, which I believe is like the third day that Nikki is missing, he goes to the jeweler and actually exchanges the rings that he bought for money. So he gives them back to the jeweler and gets his money back. 
And by the end of that week, he has already canceled the wedding and is trying to receive any money from the deposits that he can get back. When the police see all that Bobby has done, they naturally question him and say, you know, what are you, what is your motives? Why are you canceling the wedding? Why are you trying? Why are you giving the rings back? What are you doing? And he said he didn't want to cancel the wedding, but he was just so concerned about her missing that the wedding did was not was no longer priority. And so he went ahead and canceled that because he was more concerned about finding Nikki. He also said he called the registrar's office where she was going to school to see if she would have to default on her loan. That's still not really making a whole ton of sense to me, that explanation, but that's the explanation he gave the police. He said that he traded in the rings to buy a cell phone so that he would be able to keep in contact with whatever the latest was about Nikki being found or being missing. He just wanted to keep in contact. Now, I will say that it was 2001 and it was not... It was like cell phones were just now getting to be a thing that everybody was doing, right? Like, so as we know, cell phones, it's like something you never leave home without. You always have it in your hand. But back in 2001, (laughs) everybody didn't have a cell phone. And it was literally just used for calling. Like, texting wasn't a thing yet. So it was really... You know, I think that was a good explanation in my mind. But still, it was very sketchy that he was kind of like doing all these things that were centered around money. Now, the police asked Bobby at that time because it's just like too many suspicious things going on with him. They say, hey, listen, we want you to take a polygraph. And he agreed. They asked him, did he know where she went? And he was flagged for deception. However, because a polygraph is nothing definitive and they didn't have any other evidence that pointed directly to to him, they had, they couldn't arrest him. So they just, you know, had this polygraph that showed deception, but they could not arrest him at that time. Now, of course, the case is growing cold. They don't have any leads. You know, it's just getting very, very cold as a result because nobody really knows anything. Remember, they didn't have any witnesses that saw anything um, with Nikki being harassed or somebody confronted her. People don't remember seeing her. And they had such a late start in this case because of their policy of waiting 72 hours they really probably missed out on key evidence that was present or a uh, present or a key witness that was present that they could have questioned but because they had to let three days pass it's really no telling what they missed out on nikki's family is so resilient Although the case is cold on the police's end, her nine brothers and sisters set out pounding the pavement, putting up flyers, ensuring that the community does not forget that Nikki is missing and they want her to be found. So the family pursues it and they bring awareness to her case. 
But the family also shuts out Bobby, her fiance, because he has done so many things at this point in time that just make them feel like he has something to do with it. Like, at the very least, your behavior and your response to Nikki missing has not been good. And so we don't want you to have anything to do with us trying to find her. And so they shut him completely out. But three and a half months later, there's a break in the case. On November 3rd, 2001, a car is found. The car that Nikki was driving is found in Dayton, 40 miles from where she lived. In the back seat was a laundry basket filled with folded clothes and nothing else. So they immediately process her car and they find that there's nothing in it. Like forensically, there's nothing, no blood, nothing was found in that car. So the police decide to focus more in Ohio than Indiana because she was abducted with the laundromat that was in Indiana and her car was found in Ohio. So they believe that the whole that she was abducted from Indiana to Ohio. So they really need to concentrate where they're looking in Ohio versus Indiana. At this point in the case, Tommy is introduced and before you ask who Tommy is Tommy lived a quarter of a mile away from where Nikki's car was found tuck that under your hat now Tommy was a co-worker of Nikki's and as the police did their investigation and inquired about her relationship with Tommy two different things came out of that So friends said that Tommy really wanted a relationship with Nikki, but Nikki saw him more as a brother. And so she friend zoned him. So to co-workers and friends, they had no relationship and they were just friends. But Nikki's sister said that at some point, she had a relationship with Tommy that was of the romantic nature. She says she doesn't really know if it was an affair and it happened during the time she was involved with Bobby, but she does know that it was romantic. She recounted to the police that Tommy had a violent streak. And one day when she went to go visit her sister, she was in the breezeway And she heard screaming coming from her sister's apartment. She opened the door to find her sister in a chair with her feet up. And Tommy was screaming at her and pushing her. And she was kicking Tommy. Um, Nikki was kicking Tommy with her feet. And she claimed um, after Tommy ran away from the situation that he was trying to rape her to her sister. So there's like conflicting information If Tommy had a relationship with, romantic relationship with Nikki or not. So there's that conflicting information. After the police investigate with friends and family about the nature of Tommy and Nikki's relationship, they decide to go directly to the source, which is Tommy. And they try to ask him questions and interview him, but Tommy refuses to talk to them. He is labeled as a person of interest. They soon receive um, a tip from a psychic that said 
Nikki died the same day that she went missing and that her body would be in a ditch near the laundromat. The police were never able to confirm what the psychic said. And so as motivation to get information from the public, the police offered a $100,000 reward. And before you know it, five years go go past and her family continues to search for her. But the investigation once again goes cold. August 30th, 2007, the Richmond Police Department get word that Tommy Swim, their person of interest in the Nikki McCowan case, was just hired as a police officer in Ohio. So they immediately reach out to the Ohio PD and make them aware that Tommy Swim is a person of interest. He refuses to answer questions and he might have been involved in a possible murder or a missing person. So Ohio PD, they don't play. They tell Tommy, you know, you either need to go down there and clear that up, answer their questions, or you need to resign. Or we're just going to simply terminate you because we cannot have one of our police officers as a person of interest in an open case. So he resigns, but he files a lawsuit for wrongful termination. That lawsuit really goes nowhere. And as a result of all the attention that the lawsuit garnered, him being uh, let go from the Ohio Police Department, he lands on the news in a special segment. But someone was watching the news that day and they called the Dayton PD and sent in an anonymous tip about a murder that happened 16 years prior. It was an unsolved murder of a woman named Tina Marie Ivory. So the police start to investigate and they start to look at Tommy as a person of interest. What they find out is that there was DNA from Tina Marie's crime scene and they ran that through CODIS years prior, but there wasn't a match that was found in the system. But because of that lawsuit that Tommy filed against Ohio PD, they were able to retrieve DNA from him. So they took his DNA sample and they also got a palm print from him because a palm print was also found on scene. And they took that and they sent that into a DNA lab. In 2009, Tommy actually moves from Ohio to Alabama and he becomes a security guard. They were able to track him down and interview him, not about Nikki, but about Tina. They eventually got all the DNA information back from the lab and he was a match for her murder. He, of course, denies any involvement in their initial interview. But when they got that DNA evidence back, he could not deny that he was involved. So on February 3rd, 2010, 2010, they go to arrest him in his home. 
February 3rd, 2010, the police go and arrest Tommy at his residence or they attempt to arrest him because when they get to the front door, they hear a gunshot, a single gunshot. They open the door to find Tommy swim on the floor, dead of a single gunshot wound to his head. He killed himself. And not only did he die, but all the questions and answers that he possibly could have given the police about Nikki, about why he murdered Tina Marie Ivory, died with him that day. The only good thing was the police were able to close the case of Tina Marie Ivory and give her family some closure to her death because it had been unsolved for 16 plus years. But whether Tommy did something to Nikki or not is a question that everybody still has to this day. Because we can't get those answers, his name is forever tied with the case of Nikki McCowan. I did want to mention who Tina Marie Ivory was. She, at the time of her death, was a prostitute who was just simply down on her luck. And she met Tommy Swim in passing and he murdered her. Her body was found right away shortly after the murder, but they didn't have any DNA evidence to connect Tommy to the murder until 2003. Nikki McCowan is still missing. It's 2022, 21 plus years later, and her family does not have the answers that they need. They still feel her absence. Now, many people say that the answer to where Nikki is and how she disappeared lied with Tommy Swim. He was responsible for another woman's murder, another woman's disappearance. He probably did the same thing to Nikki. I mean, Nikki's car was found a quarter of a mile away from Tommy's residence. It's probable, but the truth is we'll never really know because Tommy's dead. So unless someone who was around Tommy, who knew him, speaks up, which you should, the family needs answers. Reach out to the Richmond, Ohio PD. We still can give this family the answers that they so desperately deserve. Now, we know that Nikki had a daughter named Peyton. And of course, she was nine years old when her mother disappeared. Peyton is now a beautiful woman raising her own children. But Peyton wants to clear up some things that were very shaky in the story surrounding her mother's disappearance. She said that her mother never had a relationship with Tommy. It was never a romantic relationship. She also says that her mother's fiance, Bobby, never went to Dayton as he said he did when Nikki went missing. If you remember in the story, Bobby said that once he figured out that she didn't she wasn't at home at 10 o'clock that he drove from the laundromat to Dayton Ohio to her job to see if she was there Peyton said that never happened and her and her family believe that Bobby holds the answers 
to Nikki's disappearance. What do you guys think? Join you next time for another episode of Murder in the Black.